0: As we begin our sermon time this morning, we're going to pause for just a moment to dismiss our children and our leadership who are headed upstairs for our kids' crew worship time. This is for kids who are sixth grade and under, so if you're visiting with us today and you've got a child that fits in that that age range, we invite them to head upstairs with everybody else after our service is finished this morning, you'll be able to retrieve them just beyond the exit on this same east side on the second level, that's where we have our, we call it our kids crew room, it's our, our children's space, and that's where they're going to be this morning during this time. Also, uh, as you turn to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, where we're going to dig in for our message, I, I want to just take a moment to welcome back all of our USAO students who are here this morning. Classes began uh, this week, and, and they moved back in, and we're glad to have all of them back with us as well as they launch into their spring semester. All right. Hebrews chapter 11, we looked last week at the first three verses, but we also included one of the verses we're going to look at again this morning, verse 6, that talked about pleasing God. Without faith, it is impossible for us to please God. And so we're, we're digging in on this idea of what is faith and what does faith do in our lives. The whole chapter of Hebrews 11 really is devoted to not only pointing us to what faith is, but then giving us examples to follow of what faith does by looking in the lives of other believers who have lived this life of faith and are being praised for the, the, the faithfulness that they lived by. And in, in this passage that we study this morning, verses 4 through 7, we're going to see a, a select group here, kind of a handful of examples that are given of people who lived a life of faith. But I want to I think about just that, phrase, that idea for a moment of what it means to live a life of faith. I want you in your mind to picture someone that you think personifies what it means to be faithful or to live a life of faith. It may take on a different form somewhat for each of us, right? And, and, and maybe for you there's even a specific person that comes to your mind that you feel like truly embodies that, that faithfulness, that life of faith faith. The, this passage this morning, and really our, our purpose in studying this, we're going to find is, is to encourage us that we would live a life of faith, so that someday at the end of our days, right, that it might be said of, of any of us in, in the room that, that we were faithful, that, that we lived a life of faith. And so when I think of someone who lives a life of faith particularly, I tend to imagine someone who's a little advanced in their years, right? I think of someone who has walked with the lord for for many, many years, and there are so many great examples that I could point to in in this church and even just in my own life and my own personal experience in my story, but probably none that personify this for me the way that even my own grandparents do, because in my life I still have i 'm blessed to still have three of my four grandparents living. And all of my grandparents have been uh, real champions of the faith. I mean, they have lived full lives of faithfulness, faithful service to the Lord, uh, faithfulness to the churches that they've been a part of and serving and giving and, and participating in the life of those churches. And so, it really for me, the, the faces, if you will, that belong on that, that Mount Rushmore of the life of faith, right? those, those, those people that I picture in my mind are, are my own family, and I'm blessed that I can stand and and say that, whoever that may be for you, though, whoever that person may be, or those persons may be, I want you to think about what is it about them specifically that that you feel like makes them faithful? What is it specifically about them that sort of exemplifies what faithfulness is all about? We talked last week a little bit about the fact that that faith and, and faithfulness sometimes a little bit of a nebulous idea it 's a little bit difficult for us to wrap our arms around it or to point to it specifically. We know when it's there. We know when it's not there. We, we, we feel like we can acknowledge when we have faith and when we are struggling or wrestling with doubts in our faith, and yet it's difficult to measure faith because it's not one of those things that we see tangibly, right? The passage that we studied last week, those three verses, identified faith for us as saying that it's the, the substance of the things that we are hoping for, right? It's the assurance of the things that we are hoping for, and it is the the conviction that leads us, that compels us to seek those things. Well, this morning as we consider what it means for us to live a life of faith, this passage gives us three particular examples that we will look at. So let's read together verses 4 through 7 Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, and, and I want you to notice that phrase by the way, by faith, as we go through this this passage. In fact, you can even scan ahead of where we are in these select verses for this morning and look at Hebrews eleven and see how these words show up again and again. By faith, which is to say that here is an example of faith, right here 's an example for us to notice: by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. That's the ripple effect, if you want to think of it that right way, right? That, that Abel's example continues to speak even after he is dead and gone. And at the point even that this was being written, this would have been thousands of years that had passed from, from the time of Abel until the time that this was written. And, of course, even more so in, in light of where we stand in history today. Verse 5 tells us, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, again, we see Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. And so as we we look at this passage and we look at these examples this morning, I want us to see that by faith, these... These, these men, these examples as they were given to us here, by faith they did what was right before God and so they were commended is a word that's used here or the word pleased, it was pleasing to God. And so the idea is that, that God that God even, because we understand the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that's, that's inspiring all of this to be written, God is, is, is giving us these examples, saying if you want to know what faithfulness looks like, if you want to know what it means to live by faith, then consider these examples. Look at these examples, these, these people who lived by faith. And so as we look at this, I want us to see three different ways, particularly in these three examples that are given to us, that faith can be demonstrated in the way that we live our lives. And so we'll look to these examples, of course, and then connect it to our lives and the instruction for us to live as the people of God by faith. The first, the first uh, way that we see faith demonstrated in our lives through, through these examples is that faith is demonstrated in our worship faith is demonstrated in our worship. Ultimately, what you have at the center of the story of Abel is his worship of the Lord. And so, in order to understand this, turn to your Bible in Genesis chapter 4. And in fact, keep a thumb there because we find these three individuals, these three characters of the, of the biblical text are basically in sequence here in Genesis chapters 4, 5, 6, 7 following as we see the story of these individuals. So, we'll reference these, these texts in Genesis throughout as we look at this this morning. And so in Genesis chapter 4, I want, I want us to look at the story of Abel. Essentially what happens is Adam and Eve had sons. They, they were fulfilling the command that the Lord had given them that they would have sons, that they would be fruitful and they would multiply, right? And so they have first these sons, Cain and Abel. And you're familiar with those those names, right? We're very familiar with the names Cain and Abel. And Cain was a farmer, this passage tells us essentially, that he he worked the land and that Abel was more of a rancher, if we want to you, you use a more modern term for that, right? He, he was, Abel was the cattleman and Cain was the farmer here. And the idea, you know, uh, this goes all the way back like to the play Oklahoma, right? That the farmer and the cowman can be friends, right? The idea is that in this passage, the farmer and the cowman weren't friends. That Cain and Abel had a disagreement and Ultimately, that disagreement, uh, we, we could say, really blew up in Cain taking his brother Abel's life. But the whole disagreement itself came back to this central idea, that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and he rejected Cain's. Why is that? Well, let's look at this passage in Genesis chapter 4. It says that Adam knew his, Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord." And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, Genesis four verse seven is one of my very favorite verses in all of the Bible. If you memorize scripture, maybe if you've made a New Year's resolution that you're going to memorize more scripture this year, I would recommend that you that you memorize this verse of scripture in in Genesis chapter four verse seven. Particularly, right, the idea that sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you. Because here is the truth of, of what undergirds this story. We don't know specifically why God accepted Abel's offering and why he rejected Cain. Some scholars over the years have pointed to the fact that, well, Abel offered a sacrifice of, of blood, right? That he offered an animal, the, the first fruit of his flock and the portions. But it also points to the fact that Cain was offering the first fruits from his crop as well. Whatever it was, clearly we know that God sees beyond the sacrifices to the matter of the heart. Because what is it that he says to Cain? He says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain, if you had done what I had instructed you to do, wouldn't I have accepted your offering? Now, the point here is this. Somewhere hidden in all of this, not hidden, that's the wrong word. I don't don't want to use that word. Somehow underlying all of this is the idea that Cain's offering was not pleasing to the Lord because it was more than just the outward things that he was sacrificing. It was a matter of his heart. And Abel's sacrifice was found pleasing before the Lord, again, for the same reason, because ultimately it's an issue of the heart. Here's the central truth that we learn. It's possible to do all the right things, but if you're doing them for the wrong reasons and if your heart is in the not, not in the right place, God's going to look at what you have done outwardly and say, well, yeah, uh, thanks, but no thanks, essentially, right? He, he will reject that in the sense that it will not be pleasing Before him. Because what is the sacrifice that pleases the Lord? We saw in Psalm 51 earlier that I read during our welcome time. A broken and a contrite spirit. In other words, when we come before God with the right attitude, with the right posture of prayer, with the right heart, it's not about the the things outwardly that we do. In fact, it's entirely possible. For us to sing all the right songs right written all the right way, whatever you might define that as, to say all the right words, to do all the right things outwardly, but if our hearts are not where they should be, do you think God is somehow fooled into believing that our worship is sincere? Do you think that the God of the universe, who sees well beyond our outward expressions but sees directly to the matter of the heart, do you think that somehow He is pleased Because outwardly we've made a show of things, but inwardly we've withheld our best from him. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So, Cain does not do well before the Lord. Cain does not offer sacrifice in the way that is pleasing to God, and Abel does. And so the passage in Hebrews tells us that because Abel offered a, a, a pure sacrifice, because Abel offered his best before the Lord, God accepted that offering before him. And even though he is dead, that, that continues to speak to us. It continues to have that ripple effect, essentially, is what I want you to think of when you read that verse in Hebrews eleven four 4, that that his life continues to speak. And what is it about his life that speaks to us? That if we would offer the Lord a a pure and a sincere offering of the heart, that God will find that acceptable and pleasing. And here's why that's good news for you and I. It's because it doesn't mean that you need to worry about comparing it means that you don't need to worry about comparing yourself to everyone else around you it means that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how big your house is or how much money is in your bank account or what brand of clothing you wear or how good your job is or what level of education you have it doesn't matter what in the eyes of the world what your status or your position or your authority or your power are God isn't impressed by any of that instead what he wants is for us to come before him with a broken and a contrite spirit. He wants us to come before Him humble, acknowledging our need for Him. Yet so many times, what do we do? We, we look at all the outward things. We tend to focus on the, the surface level, the material, the physical even, if, if you want to think of it that way. God sees beyond all of that to matters of the heart. And so the good news for us is you don't have to be rich, rich, It doesn't matter whether you're poor. It doesn't matter whether you have it all together. Frankly, it doesn't matter whether your life, it feels like it is in the the tank, right? If you will acknowledge your brokenness and your need before God this morning and offer Him a sacrifice that is pure, then you will be found pleasing. What is the sacrifice that God wants from us? Romans chapter 12, verse 1, defines it as our lives. That we would live our lives for him. And Romans 12:1 tells us that that is our spiritual act of worship, right? That we would present ourselves as living sacrifices. In other words, what does God really want? He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants all of you the way that you are. And if you would come before him, offering your life to him, demonstrating your faith in your worship, which is to say, giving yourself to him, God will find that pleasing and acceptable. So our faith is demonstrated in our worship when we come before God broken, humble, when we come before him offering ourselves to him, broken as we are, acknowledging our need for him. That's what real worship is about. That's our spiritual act of worship, that living sacrifice that Romans 12:1 talks about. And so our faith is demonstrated in our worship just as we see that Abel's faith was demonstrated in his worship, in his sacrifice before the Lord. Secondly, we see that our faith can be demonstrated in our walk. If you're still in Genesis or you still have your thumb in Genesis, go to Genesis chapter 5 and look at verse 24. We don't know a lot about Enoch. In fact, relatively few verses are are given to to speak about Enoch. Him, and even those don't give us a lot of the specifics but this we know Enoch was a righteous man and he walked blamelessly before God and because he did God commended him and ultimately it even tells us that he didn't see death literally this verse in Genesis 5:24 tells us that he was no more so let's read Genesis 5:24 it says Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him now that's some Star Trek, space age, sci-fi stuff, right? That, that Enoch just literally disappeared. He was on this earth, and then he was not, for the Lord took him. But here is the, the point, especially in light of what, what Hebrews is pointing us to today. Enoch demonstrated his faith in, in his walk, in the way that he lived his faith was demonstrated in his walk, right? And so when others looked at him, when others looked at his example, they saw in him the example of what it meant to live by faith. He was a man of faith, a man that served God. And in fact, he, he lived a, a long time. It says that in the verse before that, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. So for 365 years, he walked with God. Here was a man who faithfully walked with the Lord. And because of his faithfulness, because of that, because of the decision to honor God and to walk with God, not only does Hebrews point us to Enoch as a great example of faith, but literally Enoch never saw death. God took him. He was no more is literally what this, this, the, the, the translation here tells us, right? He was not is the way that it was translated in, in the ESV. God God took him home. Now, I've known a lot of people who, near the end of their days, would speak along the lines of heaven as their home. And they say things like, right? I'm, I'm ready to go home. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. I, I recognize that this world is not my home. I'm I'm ready to be reunited with the people that I've loved and I've lost. And they think of they think of heaven as their true home. And 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 I long for that in, in my own heart, and my own life. I'll be honest, at 38 years old, this world feels very much like home. And yet, in my heart, I understand and I know that the Bible teaches me that I'm an alien, that I'm a stranger in this world, right? First Peter particularly points us to that fact, that we are aliens and strangers in this world. We are to live with an allegiance that is not to the things of this world, but an allegiance to the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ as our Lord and our King. And I understand all of that. I'm just being, I understand all of that to be true. And I know that's the way that, that it works. And yet, I'll be honest, I think just maybe as much as anything because of my my age and my stage of life, I'm very comfortable with this physical world that we live in too. It just feels normal, right? This, this, nothing about this feels weird or abnormal. This is what we know. And yet, I've I've known so many people who have lived long enough and been through enough things that they say, you know, this world is not my home and I'm ready to go home. And I, and I hope for that example to be true in my own life. I hope for that testimony to be true in my own life where I can say, someday I'm looking forward to, to my real home. In my head, I believe that now, but you know what I'm saying? Like as I go through life, I, I want that to be true in my heart as well. And Enoch, I think, is a great example of that for us. Enoch walked by faith. He lived for things that were not of this world. And ultimately, the Lord realized that it was time, and he just brought him home. He just he took him home. What a great example of someone who walked by faith. Faith was demonstrated in his walk. You know, we, we understand in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that it tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. Right? We live, we are called to live a life of, of faith and not, not trusting in and believing in all the things that we see in this world, but rather walking by faith. Think of what it means, walking by faith. Even in this passage, think of it this way Abel walked by faith, Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden, they knew God personally. They saw God. Of course, they sinned against Him, and in their rebellion, they were cast out of the garden. But even then, they would have had those memories of that relationship and that intimacy that they shared with God. Cain and Abel were the first generation who had never seen God, that didn't know God in the way that Adam and Eve had known God. And so, for them, their their parents told of stories of what it must have been like in the garden. Their parents told the stories of the relationship what they shared with God. Adam and Eve saw God firsthand. Abel didn't, and yet he lived by faith. He walked by faith and not by sight so that he offered a pleasing sacrifice. Enoch walked by faith before God. He walked in faith. He, he honored the Lord in the way that he lived. He, he was a faithful man. Even Noah, another example. Noah is an example of someone who who walked by faith and not by sight, believing God for things that were unseen, believing for God for things that seemed impossible and unimaginable even, and yet because God had spoken to him, he, he obeyed the Lord and he did what the Lord told him to do. He walked by faith and not by sight. So we want to demonstrate faith in the way that we walk, in the way that we live our lives, so that when others would look at us, they would say, He's faithful. He's faithful. So faith is demonstrated in our worship. Faith is demonstrated in our walk. And and third, we see in this faith demonstrated in our works. Faith that is demonstrated in our works. Noah is the example that is given to us here in verse 7. In Genesis chapter 7 verse 5, it tells us that Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah did the things that God told him to do, in other words, he was obedient to God. Now, consider for a moment, consider for a moment the, if you could somehow picture what it must have been like to be Noah. Noah built a giant ship out of gopher wood, and then he began gathering the animals of the earth to place inside of this and not only did that seem odd to everyone around him, it must have seemed downright insane, right? That that he, he was the crazy guy. In fact, there have been some movies and things that have been made over time, and, and all of them, to some extent, have uh, I think tried to show this this the, the strangeness of Noah somehow. But I don't know that any of them have really done justice to the fact that Noah must have just been considered the full on raging lunatic of his day, right? That he was building a boat for when God was going to kill everybody by a flood. And it took him over a hundred years to do that, to build this massive, this massive structure, to gather the animals together, to place inside of the ark. Just imagine how utterly bizarre that was. See, we become really comfortable with that story and and rather used to it. And so, to some degree, it, it, it loses its it's it's true effect because i mean we we like put noah's ark on the walls in, in babies nurseries and stuff right like the story of the time god killed everyone on the earth and we and we like wallpaper that in our in our babies rooms like what are we really trying to say right you better listen to the god uh, he's going to he's going to get you if you don't listen to right but really we some of the the, the true weight of that story is lost on us just because of our just our familiarity with it. Here was a guy that, that believed the seemingly impossible, and he did the seemingly ridiculous because God had instructed him to do so. So what was the example that Noah gives us? What's an example of someone who obeyed God against the odds. It's an example of someone who did what God said to do, even though everyone around him was saying, you are crazy, Right? Now, I don't know if you've ever felt like someone said you're crazy for following the Lord. I, I, don't, I don't know that, that anyone has ever thought that you had you know, a, a mental illness or something, because, but it doesn't have to be uh, along those lines. Consider that in the world that we live in increasingly, the values that we hold the values that we derive from the Scripture itself. In fact, the very, the very understanding of what is right versus what is wrong that we take from the Word of God increasingly in the world that we live in is, is spurned, is looked at and said, that is, that's crazy, that's old-fashioned, that's out of step. Nobody does that. People don't do that kind of thing anymore. I mean, I understand that the Bible was, but that's not what it really meant. It didn't really mean that you need to live that way, right? increasingly we find in the world and the culture that we're in today that people want to look at the word of God and say, you don't really have to do that. And yet, what did Noah do? Noah believed God and he obeyed him, even when it seemed ridiculous to everyone around him. And what is God calling us to do? To demonstrate faith through our works essentially is this, that we live our lives in such a way that we say, God, the authority of your word, the authority of what it speaks, what it teaches about what is right versus wrong, what is true versus what is not true, that is going to be my true north. That is going to be the, the compass that I live by. What is found in this word of God, this is going to be what defines for me what is faith and what is not faith. What is, what is the, the example that I will follow or the instructions that I will adhere to? Romans chapter 10 verse 17 tells us this. That faith comes through hearing and hearing. How? Through the Word of God. The faith that we demonstrate in our works comes through understanding and doing what the Word of God says. And increasingly, in the world that we live in, people point to it and they say, no, that's that's old-fashioned. Nobody does that anymore. So you may not be Noah, building a giant ark out of gopher wood but nonetheless i think we can really identify with the essence of what noah's life and his example was all about because we are we are told to live in a way that the world around us would say that's madness why would you do that we demonstrate faith with our works or i think another word that we could easily use here is through our obedience We demonstrate faith in our obedience, right? What are our works? Ultimately, it's the things that we do. And what are the things that we should do? The things that God has called us to do. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So, we demonstrate faith in our worship. We demonstrate faith in our walk. We demonstrate faith in our works. And if you put these three together, if you were to take the three of these together, I think they comprise our witness, our witness, your worship, your walk, your works, the things that you do together, these, these are your witness. This is what the world looks at when they look at your life. When they, when they think of you, this is what the world thinks of, right? Your witness, the, the example that you set for others. So, How is faith demonstrated in your worship, in your walk, in your works, in your witness? How is your life demonstrating the kind of faith that God has called you to live by. Sometimes we think that faith is doing the impossible. And to be true, there are times when God does call us to believe in and hope in and trust the impossible. But this isn't just faith that is, that is rooted in the impossible. This is faith that is grounded in the the essence of everyday life in our worship, in our walk, in our works, in the things that we do, that we would live lives of faith and demonstrate faith. And of course, we can't talk about any of this. We can't talk about what it means to live by faith without coming back to the central truth that our faith ultimately flows from our belief in Jesus Christ, that our faith is grounded in, rooted in Jesus himself, his sacrifice for us on the cross, his his gift of life to us that is to be received by faith as we believe in him, as we trust in him for forgiveness of our sins. So if you're here this morning and, and, and you're thinking about this and you find yourself thinking, i I don't know. I, don't, I, I can't see the, the examples of my worship, of my walk, of my, of, of my works. I, it's not all connecting for me. Could it be for you that maybe what you need is to take that first step of faith by trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time of response, and in that time of response, our altars are going to be open, of course, for people who want to come and pray, and we're going to stand and sing a song together, but we're going to be standing at the front ready to receive you, ready to pray with you this morning. And if you sense that this is, this is the moment, if you realize that you have never trusted in Jesus by faith, surrendering your heart and your life to him, then today would you make this the beginning point of your walk of faith as you trust in him. And for those who are here this morning who have trusted in Jesus by faith, but maybe you've been challenged this morning to think about your worship, your walk, your works, the things that you do. What is it that God is specifically saying to you this morning? What what thing is he convicting you of? What, What attitude or behavior needs to be right so that your worship would be pleasing before him? In the way that you walk, in the way that you live, are you trusting in what you can see? Or are you walking by faith? Are you walking by sight and just believing in the things that you know you could really do on your own anyway, frankly? Or are you believing in God and trusting in things that are bigger than your own power, and ability? And in your works, do you find that your life, your example, your witness is faithful to what the Word of God says? Or have you bought into the lie that you kind of can just read through here and find the simple ethic of it all and just kind of go on? Together, our worship, our walk, our works, they, they make our witness. How is your witness pointing other people Let's pray together. Lord God, this morning, I pray for your conviction in our hearts that would...